Morning, everybody. Can we, uh, can we do something different today? Becky, can you turn all the lights on so that I can see everybody else just as well as they can see me? Perfect. Oh, you guys are an intimidating bunch. And you guys need prayer, I can tell. <laughs> uh, if you have a Bible with you, you want to just grab it? You can follow along today if you want. If you're, if you're one of these people that uses a phone or something like that to follow along, that's fine. But right now, if you have a Bible, a legit Bible, pick it up. This book is the most precious book on earth. The very fact that we have this book is many miracles tied up in one. We could have an entire sermon built on why this book is the most precious book in the world. I could tell you about all the authors and how many years it came into compilation and how it all came to be and how many people tried to wipe it out so that we should never have this book in our hands anymore. But today, you and I have as many copies of this book as you want. And if you want free ones, there's free ones in the back. We give them away for free. Like, unbelievable. This is the most precious book in the world. And I'm not even asking your opinion. I'm telling you the truth. This is the most precious book in the world. This is God's written word to us and should not be taken lightly. And shame on us, shame on me, if we neglect to study and memorize and pour over this word. So I'm just going to start off with a prayer of confession. Because if you are like me, you take this book for granted. Jesus, with that in mind, I just want to start off by asking Jesus that you would forgive me for the, for the many, many times that I have taken your written word for granted. And I ask Jesus that you would stir in us, even the people that are here this morning. There might even be some, Lord, that weren't planning to come here, but they just came. Even the ones that don't call Pansy Chapel their home church. I ask Jesus you would come and stir in each one of us that we would be enthralled and engaged and anticipating what you say in your word and that we would actually recognize it as it is incredibly, incredibly precious. Amen. So this book is the most precious book on the globe and always will be. Nobody is going to add anything to this book. They should never add anything to this book or try to add anything to this book because this book is the written word of God. But we're doing a series of messages called Questions Around Hearing God and we're talking about the spoken word of God. Is that a conflict? Absolutely, without a doubt, zero, zilch, not a, no. <laughs> that is not a conflict. You cannot, if the spoken word of God will never, ever lead you away from the written word of God. A kingdom divided against itself 
cannot stand. And if you have heard the spoken word of God, which we are, the, the written word of God tells us to expect it. And it will never lead you away from the written word of God because the two can never be in conflict with each other because they are the word of God. God's spoken word will never contradict the written word. And so, but there's a problem. Some people, and there might be some people here like this today that wonder this question, well, I've heard about this such and such a person or this group of people or whatever. And they've, they've heard a spoken word of God. God has spoken to them. And then they kind of just leave this over here and go, well, that's great. We don't need the word any, we don't need the written word anymore because we got the Holy Spirit or we got a personal connection with the Lord now. And it's not true. It's actually impossible for that to happen. That is completely impossible. Because the spoken word of God cannot go against the written word of God. And so, if somebody has heard a spoken word of God, and after they hear that personalized word for them, they start to neglect this written word, one of two things is happening. Either... They never heard God in the first place. Or they have heard God, and at the same time, they are listening to lies of Satan telling them to walk away from this book. And they have a really bad case of divided heart. Because God's spoken word actually leads you to the written word. You guys with me on that? We can hear God's spoken word to us personally today. We've talked about this for a couple weeks already. He is alive and he is not mute. 1 Corinthians 12, 2, right? He's, this is who God is. But even when we anticipate and recognize and experience God, we open up our hands and say, we want to experience you, Lord. And that's good. Those experiences do not lead us away from this word. This word is written over 1,500 years by 40 to 44 different authors, and it is full of instructions about how to listen to God, instruction, commands to listen to God. It's full of stories that above people who listened to God, they heard his audible voice, they saw angels, they spoke to angels, they experienced God, they experienced miracles. Every one of these authors heard from the Lord. They talk about other people who heard from the Lord, and they talk about future Christians who should hear from the Lord. There's even stories in here about the people that lived before this book was ever written that heard from the Lord. In this book, there's stories from Adam heard from the Lord. Actually, a two-way conversation Adam had with Yahweh, the same God we just sang about and are welcoming into our service this morning. Eve had a conversation with the Lord. Cain did. Enoch walked with God. Describes a really personal relationship with God. Noah had a conversation with the Lord. The Lord spoke to Noah, gave instructions, Right? And that's just the beginning, and then it all goes from there. This is the entire book talks about a God who speaks. This is who God is. But never does it lead us away from letting go of this precious book. It actually drives us to this book. And this book is the inerrant, infallible, authoritative word of God. Amen? And hearing his voice doesn't lead us away from it. It leads us to it. Case in point, within this last week, I met a guy that I really would like to spend more time with. But he knows 
himself and other people that he knows today. Like right now, within the last month, and they're anticipating the coming month, they have heard God tell them to print off this book at the risk of their lives so that other people could have a copy of this precious word of God. And they're risking their lives to do it. They're risking their lives to smuggle it across borders and into places where they're probably going to die if they ever get caught with it, but they know it's worth it because God told them to do it. And God's, do you understand? The two go together. When you hear God's voice, it actually brings you to this word because the truth in this book is willing, you should be willing to die for the truth that is in this book. You guys with me? In case you think I'm a heretic, I'm just going to show you from Scripture two examples, and that's it. That's all we're going to do today. If somebody experiences God, and they hear God's voice, and they experience amazing things from God, it doesn't lead them away from this book. It should never. If it does, there's a problem. But the problem isn't from hearing God or experiencing God. They've got different sin issues to deal with. When we hear God's voice, it brings us to this word. So I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going to read. You guys, who is Moses's, hmm, not a word, I guess. Who is Moses' successor? Okay, let's look at, let's, let's read. We're going to read about Joshua. I want to ask you a question. I'm going to read you some words, and I want, these words were, were, uh, were told to Joshua. Who's, who told Joshua these words? Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. Be strong and courageous. Who told that to Joshua? Who told that to, to Joshua? Okay, so I'm going to assume a couple people said God. I think I heard one person say Moses and a lot of quietness. So look in your Bible, Joshua chapter 1. The very first words are after the death of Moses, so we know this wasn't Moses. The servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, and then it starts going, and I just read from that words. Those words were spoken to Joshua by Yahweh, the Lord. Joshua heard the voice of God. Can you imagine that? And he actually was able to articulate enough to write it down. This is what God said. Isn't that amazing? Do you think that Joshua knew? So if you take your Bible, if you're open to Joshua 1, this skinny part here, that's the Pentateuch, the first five books written by Moses. Do you think Joshua would have known about those books and what was written in those books? Okay, guys, this should be a pretty simple answer. He was with, Joshua, he was with Moses for the 40 years in the, in the wandering in the desert. And it says, I think it's Exodus 33, verse 10 or something, it says that sometimes God would come and appear, fire, cloud, at the tent of meeting. Moses would speak to God face to face as God speaks to a friend. And Joshua, and then Moses would go and talk to the people, but Joshua, his aide, would stay in the tent. Do you think that Joshua knew the Pentateuch and knew the things that Moses had written down? A hundred percent. I don't think there will have been anybody more familiar with the written word of God than Joshua. And now he is, if he hasn't before, you could argue that he's already heard the voice of God. But he clearly 
Moses is dead, and now Joshua hears the voice of God. Is it going to lead him away from the written word? We'll keep reading. In verse 7, still God speaking. He says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. So he, God's voice is actually telling him, go back and obey that written law. I'm not taking you away from it. I'm just telling you, I'm bringing you back to it. My servant Moses gave to you, do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Don't let it depart from your mouth. This book of the law, do, keep talking about it. Read it and speak it. Meditate on it day and night. Joshua is hearing the voice of God saying, pick up your Bible and read it, meditate on it, chew on it, and keep talking about it, because that's the written word of God. Amen? But it was God speaking to him. How can that be? It's the same God. You with me? Then you will be prosperous and successful. I really love Jesus. Do you guys know that? We do. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to go with another Bible example. And we're going to look at someone else who actually, he actually encountered God. And this guy really knew his scriptures well. And he had the entire Old Testament. And so if you put your finger in between the new and the old, uh, somewhere about like this, that whole portion, he had the whole thing. It's called the Law and the Prophets. First little part is the law. That's Joshua had that too. And then we have all the prophets. I'm going to talk about Paul. Did Paul, was he familiar with the law and the prophets? How do you know? Somebody tell me how you know that. He was a Pharisee. He was like a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was trained at the highest level by the most influential teacher of the day. Gamaliel or something, however you say his name. Gamaliel. He was trained by him, which gave him status among the Pharisees. I'm going to read. You guys can follow along. I'm going to be in Acts 20. We're actually going to cover the rest of the book of Acts, and so I'm going to be skipping, but I'll tell you exactly where I'm reading. I'm just going to read straight out of my Bible. Acts chapter 20. I'm going to start in verse 22, but what's happening here is that Paul... Has, he's not in Ephesus, I don't think, but he's, he's called the Ephesian elders to come. He's gathered them, and he's got something to say to them. And he's about to tell them that he's compelled to go back to Jerusalem. He's not in Jerusalem, but he's going to go back. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. What was the Spirit doing to him? Compelling him. It was the Holy Spirit who was... Who was Spurring him, prompting him, pushing him, leading him, guiding him, whatever you want, compelling him to go to Jerusalem. He was experiencing the voice of God. I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit, what's the word? Warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. And so again, the Holy Spirit keeps telling Paul, Prison and hardship are coming. It's a warning. 
And then if we keep on reading here down to into 21, verse 10, we got Agabus coming. Agabus, the prophet, comes over and tells, tells he actually takes Paul's belt off of him and takes Paul's belt, and Agabus ties up his, his feet and his hands together. And he says, this is what he says, the Holy Spirit, this is Acts 21, verse 11, in the middle of verse 11. The Holy Spirit says, is the Holy Spirit talking? Sure he is. The Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. And so we have the Holy Spirit is speaking even through Agabus. But Paul wouldn't be dissuaded. He had already made up his mind after hearing from the Holy Spirit, being compelled by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I know hardship is facing me, but I'm going anyways because the Holy Spirit was compelling him to go anyways. 21 verse 17, when we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. And then, so now they're in Jerusalem. And then if you look at the next couple of verses, there's a bunch of Jews that g gather. They are zealous for the law, and there's a problem. Here's the problem. 21 verse 21. They have these Jews in Jerusalem. Um, this is what somebody warns Paul. He, they say, we, they have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses. And so these Jews who were devout followers and also knew the written word very well, we're now telling Paul, Paul, listen, these Jews here, they think you're leading people away from the written word. They think you're leading people away from Moses. And they give him a plan. And if you go down to verse 27, it says, uh, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and against our law and against this place. Was it true? They had looked at Paul and said, Paul's a defector. He's telling people to wander away from the written word. But it wasn't true. I'm telling you it wasn't true, okay? <laughs> if you look at verse 30, the whole city was aroused. People were actually trying to kill him end of verse 31 says that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. And so a centurion commander, a Roman commander, comes over there and actually, to keep Paul from dying, ties him up with two chains. In verse 35 it says the violence of the mob was so great he had to be carried by the soldiers because if they would just lead him, he was going to get killed. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he talks to the commander, and then in verse 40, 21 verse 40, he says this. He's on the steps of the barracks. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, 22 verse 1, Brothers and sisters, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of uh, Cilicia, but I brought up, I was, uh, but brought up in this city, under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way. What does this way mean? It's got a capital W there. What's that? Christians. Yeah, that's what they called Christians before they called them Christians. Once they already knew about Jesus and they hadn't come up with the term Christians yet, they just called them followers of the way. Okay. I persecuted the followers of this way, 
to their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison. As also the high priest and all council can testify, I even obtained letters from them to their brothers, um, to their brothers in Damascus, and I went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. And then he says the words of somebody who has gotten to a place of surrender before God. He says, what shall I do, Lord? You see that? Paul has just been completely stripped of his pride. He knew the written word better than anybody. And suddenly he has just encountered the one whom the word talks about, Jesus. And he experiences and sees him and hears him, and now he's become blind from this light, and he realizes, oh boy, what must I do, Lord? Get up, the Lord said, and go to Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. It's another miracle that just happened there, by the way. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. God has just spoken audibly to Paul. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. You think that took a bit of nerve for Ananias to do this to the same guy who was trying to kill, it, kill him? About a few hours before? <laughs> when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance, and I saw the Lord speaking. He's about to have another revelation from Jesus. Quick, Jesus said to him, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And then the Lord said to me, go, I'll send you far away to the Gentiles. So now we have... Paul, who was an expert in the written word, he was an expert on the law and the prophets, has just now, more than once, he's recounting the story, but he has heard the voice, the personalized voice of God. It doesn't get much more personal than calling your name, striking you with blindness, and then healing you, right? You think it would have felt pretty personal for Paul? You could even argue that Will this experience that he has just had now, a personal experience with God, will it lead him away from the written word? Well, let's see. We'll keep on reading. So then if you look at the rest of 22, there's a commander that's sent. Uh, this commander takes Paul, and he wants to know more about what Paul is talking about here. And so he, he forces Paul to stand before the Sanhedrin, which is like the Jewish council. There's going to be all kinds of different high priests 
that are very familiar with the law that he's going to have to give account to. And so he stands before the Sanhedrin. This is the 23 verse 1. Paul looks straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this date. At this, the high priest Ananias, this is not the same Ananias that prayed over Paul, but it's a different guy. The high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Punch him in the face. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there and judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. And so Paul knew the law. He says, who do you think you are that you're violating the law? Paul knew the law. Those who were standing near, this is verse 4, those who were standing near Paul said, you dare to insult God's high priest? At which point Paul pauses for a second, and he goes, Paul replied, ah, brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest. For it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. And he just quoted Exodus 22, verse 28. So there's our first proof that, God, that Paul, even though he has had this encounter with Jesus, and Jesus has called him to a very specific task, and the Holy Spirit has lined that up with him through many different words and, and is heading him in this direction, Paul's experiencing the supernatural God. And yet he recognizes his sin because of the written word. You see that? And he realized he still, he still holds to the written word. It doesn't lead him away from it. Well, keep reading. We'll see what happens from here. A dispute breaks out with this Sanhedrin. The dispute gets so bad, they go into an uproar. And it says in 23 verse 10, the dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul might be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, this is Jesus. Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Did Paul just... Jesus is talking to him again. Met him right there in person. It's amazing. And then if you keep on reading, there's a plot to kill Paul. There's 40 guys who, who uh, t they start fasting, and they promise to not eat again until they kill Paul. More than 40 guys. And then Paul's nephew kind of saves the day there, tells the, the governor, the governor transfers him to uh, uh, Caesarea. He sends him with a bunch of soldiers, horsemen, and spearmen. And now he's going to have to give account. He's going to have to stand trial before Governor Felix. And then if we go to, into chapter 24, uh, right in the beginning, you see the high priest Ananias, that same guy who was accusing Paul. He comes there too. He, he takes a lawyer with him. And he takes this lawyer, and he's going to now... Uh, charge Paul in front of a different guy, right? So he's charging Paul now in front of Felix. 24 verse 10. When the governor motioned for him to speak, this is Felix, motions for Paul to speak, Paul replied. Now he's in trial again. I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, I c so I gladly make my defense. You can very easily testify that no more than 12 days ago I went to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. 
So the accusers, the ones who were following this written word and said, it's, it, you're leading people away. Paul says, they are the ones, we're not trying to be separate. They are the ones who are calling us a sect. And then he says, I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. Paul says, this book, I agree with everything written in it. And I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Paul is saying, yeah, I know I've experienced God and I've heard his voice. It doesn't lead me away from this word. It's exactly what this word has been talking about the whole time. That's what's going on. We'll keep on reading the story. Then Felix says, okay, I'm going to decide your case. He says to Paul, or he gives Paul a bit of freedom. He allows his friends to take care of him. Felix gets his wife, this is verse 24, Felix gets his wife, Drusilla, um, and they, they sometimes get Paul to come and talk to them because they like hearing Paul talk about this Jesus. And two years pass like that. And then Festus is going to take over from Felix. And in that process, they leave Paul in prison. But now Festus, because he's kind of new on the scene, has to decide what's going to happen with this Paul guy. And so the chief priests and the Jewish leaders, the ones who've been trying to kill Paul, they ask to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem. And this is 25 verse 3. Because they're planning an ambush, they want to kill Paul. But Paul ends up appealing to Caesar. He says, I'm a Roman. I've got I to gotta talk to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. And if we go down to 25, 12, after Festus had conferred with his council, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you'll go. But then before they send Paul to go to Rome to talk to Caesar, it says a few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. So before Paul leaves Festus's area, Agrippa and Bernice show up. And they start talking to Festus, and Festus is talking to them about Paul. And then 25, verse 22, then Agrippa said to Festus, I'd like to hear this man myself. And Festus tells him, tomorrow you will hear him. And so then, now they drag Paul out again. Now he's on trial before King Agrippa and Festus. But Festus has already heard, okay? So then in 26, verse 2, Paul starts his same story again to King Agrippa. He knows that King Agrippa, and I get this out of verse 26, verse 3, he knows that King Agrippa is well acquainted with the Jewish customs, and he would understand about the Pharisees. And he talks exactly about that. Paul tells him, I was from the strictest sect of our religion. I lived as a Pharisee. I used to be killing people on the authority of the chief priests. I put to death many. I even went to foreign cities to persecute them, he says. And then I saw a light. And that light changed my world, is essentially what he says. And he quotes Jesus, and he tells that same story again. And then in 26, verse 21, this is still Paul giving his defense to King Agrippa. And Festus is sitting, like, beside him, okay? But Agrippa and Bernice are there. And he says, this is Paul talking, and he says, that is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. This is 26, verse 22 now. But I have had God's help to this very day, and so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. Listen to what he says. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Christ would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. 
He's going, I'm not going anything beyond the written word. This is just what the written word is talking about. You get it? At this point, he's, he's giving this address to King Agrippa. But Festus chimes in. Look at what Festus says. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. And the king, Agrippa, is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. And then he says, and then Paul turns from Festus, and he says to King Agrippa, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And King Agrippa probably did know the prophets. And Paul's going, Agrippa, do you not know the written word? Why is he asking him that? John 5, 39, 40 actually. That written word is the very scripture that testifies about Jesus. And so Paul's going, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. He's trying to persuade him. Then King Agrippa says to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. What did he want him to do? He wanted, he's just wishing that Agrippa, Agrippa would come to terms and realize that this written word is actually all about a living God. Amen? And he hasn't deviated, Paul hasn't deviated from that just because he experienced God. And we'll keep on reading. Then Festus and Agrippa and Bernice and a few others, they get up and they start having a little discussion amongst themselves, and they come to terms with this. Agrippa says to Festus, this man has done nothing wrong. He could have actually been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. But he did, and so, well, they've got to send him off to Caesar, and so they stick him on a ship, they send him to Rome. Then in chapter 27, there's a series of ships and voyages. Uh, verse 14, a massive wind, hurricane force called the Northeaster, comes and starts wreaking havoc on this ship on the water. So much so that they, uh, they pass ropes under the ship to kind of hold it together. They're scared it's going to get thrown apart. They begin to throw cargo over the board, uh, overboard. Verse 20, neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging. They actually all gave up hope of being saved. They thought they are doomed. Then Paul stands up one day during the storm, after about two weeks of this raging storm without relent, and somehow they're not dead yet. Paul stands up and he says to them, Last night, an angel of the God whose I'm, I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, this is 27 verse 23, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. So Paul has again experienced God. An angel came and stood, to him, stood in front of him and told him these things. And Paul now tells everybody on the ship, 276 guys, guys, guess what? We're going to be saved. <laughs> the sailors didn't believe that. And they actually tried getting off on the lifeboat. They started lowering the lifeboat into the water, and the soldiers who were guarding Paul actually went and they saw them trying to sneak away. They cut off the ropes for the lifeboat, and the lifeboat actually just floated away. 
these guys were committed to following Paul. This is 27 verse 33. Then just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. He said, for the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. They threw the rest of the food away. Why? Because Paul heard from the Lord. <laughs> For whatever reason, they're believing Paul, and he just heard from the Lord, and the Lord told them, Paul, you guys are going to be fine. Have it, eat whatever you want. We're throwing the rest of the food into the water. <laughs> These guys are they're crazy. Or God is just who Paul says he is. Then daylight comes. They see land, but they don't make it to the land because the ship gets stuck in the sandbar. And as soon as it's stuck in the sandbar, quite a ways away from land, these waves are relentless and pound the daylights out of this boat, broke it to pieces by the pounding surf. That's verse 41. Then whoever can swim, swims to shore, and whoever can't swim grabs a plank or a piece of the boat, and everybody makes it there to land safely. Chapter 28. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, a snake, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. It's a poisonous snake. When the, island, when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for, he, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul just shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time, so they're just watching, right? When's this guy going to die? He got bit by a viper. Everybody bit by a viper dies. Or they swell up and it's going to be ugly. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Again, Paul has just now seen a miracle from God. He's experiencing God again. At some point, you might think, man, with so many experiences, surely this guy is going to start wandering away from the written word. He's actually in an opportunity where he could have said, guys, hey, look at me. I didn't die from the viper. Maybe you should just follow me. Keep on reading. Then there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home, and for three days he entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. So what's going on here? Is Paul again experiencing... God, more miracles. Everybody who's sick on the island got healed. Three months go past, and then they get back onto a boat, and then they finally get to Rome, where a soldier is now guarding Paul, but he's allowed to live on his own, but there's a soldier guarding him. And this is 28, verse 17. Three days later, after he gets to Rome, he calls together the, the leaders of the Jews in Rome. 
and they tell him that they have not heard any bad reports about him, but they're very curious. In verse 22 it says, but we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking about this sect. Verse 23, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from, what, his, his experiences? Hey guys, Jesus is a miracle worker and if you follow me, he'll do miracles in your life and just, it's all about the miracles. Is that what Paul did? Look in your Bibles. This is Acts 28, verse 23. I'll read it again. Morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He takes the law and the prophets and he says, Guys, this is all about Jesus. That's what the written word is. It's about Jesus. Even after experiencing God, that didn't pull him away from the Word. It just showed him this is actually what the Word's been talking about the whole time. Some were convinced by what he said. Others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through Isaiah the prophet. Now he's going back to the written Word in the Old Testament. And this is what Isaiah said. This is actually what the Holy Spirit said. Isaiah just wrote it. Go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. What does it mean to have a calloused? Tough? Somebody in these front two benches here, tell me what it means to have a callous on your foot. It's hard. It could hurt. It's a really bad one. Is it something that you love showing off to your friends? Okay, you guys might, but the rest of us, <laughs> most people think calluses are kind of gross and ugly, and when you, when you rub them against something, the inside of your foot has a callus, you can't feel anything because it's all calloused and hard and kind of gross. These people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. This is what God said to Isaiah, and Paul said, this is the same thing to you guys, and this is in the New Testament era, okay? And then he says, Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will receive. The same Jesus that is talked about in the entire Old Testament in the entire New Testament, who has come and paid, this is why we have this cross up here as a symbol, he has come, he died, he was born as a human, he died for us, he paid the penalty for our sins, and his Holy Spirit lives inside each and every believer. It's the same Holy Spirit who was compelling Paul and warning Paul and doing amazing things, and Paul was experiencing these amazing things from God. Those things are awesome. And we should anticipate them, eager to have these amazing gifts. And none of those things lead us away from the written word. They are the word of God, and they're going to lead us to the word of God. If anything is leading us away, it is not from hearing. Hearing God will not lead you away from the Bible. 
it leads you to the Bible. And if after hearing from God, you are led away from Scripture, then at the very least, you have an incredibly divided heart. And thank you, Jesus, for that cross that we can come back and we can say, I repent, Lord. I want to be just like Paul said, Lord, what must I do now? That's the attitude we're talking about when we're talking about hearing God. Jesus, I just absolutely love you. And I pray, Lord, that I would not become calloused towards experiencing your goodness. And I don't have to make up goodness. I don't have to pretend it to be anything. Lord, I simply need to have this attitude in me that says, Lord, if there is anything that you want for me, I want it. Because I want to know you. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to know you. And I thank you for your precious written word. Lord, help us to not take for granted that we have access to this word. Jesus, help us to meditate on it day and night. And help us, Lord, to not be afraid of hearing your voice because your voice will open up this scripture to us, Lord, just like you did to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.